0: Well, it has been three weeks since I had the opportunity to preach here at Thrive Church, and I'm going to tell you, I missed it. It, I I like the break, but it is good to be back, and I'm excited to continue this morning in our series entitled Connected. Uh, We started... uh, Three weeks ago now, a series on relationships, and we had a couple of uh, guest speakers. Well, Pat Crowder is a part of our congregation, spoke a couple of weeks ago and talking about communicating with God and how we need to commune with Him and, and, and what that relationship needs to look like. And then, of course, last week we have Pastor Steve Sewell who came and spoke to us about the area of pride and what pride does in our relationship with the Lord and how pride will affect us in our personal uh, relationships. So we're going to continue in the theme of uh, relationships and connection this morning, and I want to speak to you today about the gift of community. The gift of community. Did did you know that community is a gift from God? Some of you do. (laughs) Community is a gift from God. In fact, community is something that we see in the very nature and character of God. As I spoke about a few weeks ago, as we kind of kicked off this series, I talked about Imago Dei and, the, and how God is three in one. That the Trinity is three dis- distinct persons who live in perfect relationship with each other. And, and you could call that relationship community. It is community, that, that the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit live in such a way that they share with each other and that there's a partnership that happens with each other. And, and I believe that God, in, that there's an element of fun and joy that is a part of the Godhead. The Bible says that God delights, yeah. Right? He delights in our praises, that when we come into this place and we lift our voices and we sing, that there is, that the heart of God is filled with joy and that there's this, amen. (laughs) Jacques's like, come on. (laughs) We see community in the Trinity. Community is a gift from the Lord. But have you noticed, you might have noticed this, that the world is changing. Anyone notice that? The world is changing over the past hundred years, especially the advances in technology and communication and information and mobility and education and work have, it just changed. It used to be that if you wanted to travel to the other side of the world, I mean, there's a few of us who just got back from Israel and it was, it was like 20, 24 hours with the layover. That used to be like a six-month journey, and half the people you left with didn't arrive because they died along the way. (laughs) Now we watch a few movies, enjoy a couple of meals, and we're on the opposite side of the world. The world has changed. It used to be, I remember the days when you would make an overseas phone call, and you had that lag. You remember, remember the lag? And you had to wait a few seconds before you started talking because the, the time that it took for the information, the data to transfer across that line under the Atlantic or wherever. And now it's instant. You can FaceTime face someone around the world, see their face like you were right there with them. The world is changing. And with it, this idea of community has changed. And I believe in a lot of ways has been lost to us. See, community is not just where you live. We we use that word. Oh, I live in this community. And so community has become a place more than it has become or remained a people. See, community is not a location. Community is all about relationship. Community is the people that you do life with, the people that you are in community with, the people that you share life with. It wasn't too long ago that the two terms were synonymous. See, if you lived in a town or in a village or a borough, or whatever small community, whatever geographic space that would be, it was not uncommon that there would be the baker, and there would be the farmer, and there would be the butcher, and the banker. I was going to say the, the butcher, the baker, and then of course the, the candlestick maker, um, the teacher, the doctor, and the pastor. And everyone in the community went to the same butcher. And everyone in the community was taught by the same teacher. And everyone was cared for by the same doctor. And everyone kept their money at the same bank with the same banker. And get this, everyone went to the same church and worshipped together. You ever notice like churches will have, I mean, communities will have a, a, a name like Church Street. I grew up in a city that had Church Street, and the reason that, that towns had a name, a, a street named Church Street, it's because that's where the church was. Remember a story of a guy who was found on a desert island, and he had been there for decades. And uh, you know, ship passing ship sees a fire, and they stop, and they find this guy, and they discover that he's built this entire town out of bamboo. Main street with buildings and everything. And so the captain of the ship is saying, well, what is this building? And he goes, oh, that's the grocery store. And he says, well, what's this building? And he goes, oh, that's the bank. And he goes, well, what's this building? It says, it's the church. And he points over the building and he goes, well, what's that building? And he goes, oh, that's the church I used to go to. (laughs) It wasn't too long ago that we lived in community And all of these people, the butcher, the baker, the banker, they weren't just people that you saw in passing. You knew their names. You knew about their lives. You would go in and talk to whoever that person was. You would buy your vegetables and go, how's your wife? How's your husband? Hey, I knew you weren't feeling well. That was community. But we've come a long way. The reality is today I can work I can buy my groceries, I can do my taxes, I can watch sports, and I can worship and never leave my couch, never ever get off my couch. Everything can come to me. I was chuckling. I I have a silly illustration today, um, and some of you might relate to this. For the rest of you, just hang in there with me. When I was a kid, I used to read this comic series, this European comic book called Asterix, Anyone familiar with asterisks? this is Asterix. This is the community of, of Asterix. And Asterix, was a, it was this, this village in what is now France. In those times, it was a Gaulish village. And this particular village had developed this magic potion. See, the, the Roman army had taken over all of that part of Europe, and they were pressing up into, uh, into England and Great Britain. But this one little village stood out because they had this magic potion that when they drink it, gave them si- super human strength, and they were able to hold off the armies of Julius Caesar, Um, and so everything else belonged to Rome except for this one village, and uh, let me introduce you to a a few of the characters. So on the left, the very top is Asterix, who is the star of the show. Think about that for a second. Right in the middle, in the green, in the top there, he's the chief. His name is Vital Statistics. (laughs) The the guy with the big hammer, he's the blacksmith. His name is Fully Automatics. I think this is where my love of puns really came from. Uh, the the dude on the yellow with the the bottom kind of the bigger guy with the mustache, he's the fishmonger, and his name is Unhygienics, and his wife's name is Bacteria. Um, the, the old guy, the old guy, his name is Geriatrics, um, and so on and so forth it goes. And they're just this community, and it's all really funny and kind of tongue-in-cheek. But I was thinking about these stories. And you read in the comics, they would do life together. And there was the, the blacksmith. He was, if you need anything fashioned out of metal, you would go to that guy. And if you, uh, if you needed groceries, you needed fish, you would go to everyone in the community that had that specialty. But then what would happen is that this common enemy would come against them and they would drop what they were doing. They would take their magic potion and they would go out as a community and fight that enemy. And it would look something like this in the, in the comic. We got the battle scene, right? And so they're fighting. Um, actually here, they're fighting each other. That's the, the wrong picture that I, I meant to grab a different one, but they would, uh, they would go out and they would fight the Romans. And I love that there's a fish flying and that there's a hammer but they would come together and they would fight this common enemy. And then when they were all done fighting, well, this is what would happen. They would have a meal and they, every, every single one of the Asterix comics ends with them having a banquet together. I was laughing. The reason it's fresh on my mind is when we were flying over to Israel, they, they had Asterix com- like uh, cartoons on the plane. And I was like, this is awesome. Um, I was relishing my childhood. But I started thinking about the kingdom of God, where he's created us with all of these different abilities, and, and he's given us different talents, and we all do different things. But, but we all have a common enemy, And he's given us not a magic potion, but his Holy Spirit. And that when we face this enemy, that we are filled and empowered by the Spirit, we come together to face that enemy, to come against that enemy and say, you know what, we are the people of God. We are the community of Jesus Christ. And we stand together. We fight for each other. See, the world is changing. We now live longer. We have more available and accessible to us. We know more. We have more money, though you might not always feel that way. The reality is, is we're wealthier, yet we are more stressed and anxious and lonely than any than ever before at any time in history. See church, we need community. We need each other. We need to live one with each other. The, the reason we have these circles up here is, is to depict that, that we're not isolated from each other, but our lives impact each other. And, and we recognize this, that that impact can be for the, for the good and for the negative. That we can have a negative impact, but God's design is this, is that we would be a blessing to each other, that we would be a support to each other, that the, as, as our lives interact and connect with each other, that there would be something of a, a breath of life that would take place, an encouragement that would take place, a support that would take place. One of our values here at Thrive Church is that we live in community that we live in community. The way we write it is this, people thrive in community, not isolation. We're a faith community who care for each other in every season of life. We fight for unity and reconciliation. See, the church of Jesus Christ is all about relationship. We need to be focused on relationship and being connected to each other you have your Bibles this morning, if you'd open to Acts chapter 2, Acts chapter 2 verse 42. I want to read this passage, see this idea of community is not a modern idea, it goes right back to the beginning of the church as we know it, and then even extends beyond that into the Old Testament as we see how, how the children of Israel live. But in the early stages of the modern church, we find this story Acts chapter 2, 42 says this. They, the the believers, the 3,000 who had just committed their lives to Jesus at Pentecost, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. And everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs being performed by the apostles. And all the believers were together and had everything A few chapters later in Acts 4, it's reiterated in Acts 4.32. It says this, all the believers were in one heart and mind. No one claimed that any of their possessions was their own, but they shared everything they had. With great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus and God's grace was so powerfully at work. Listen to this, in them all. In them all. I was really struck. This is a passage that's been uh, familiar to me for a long time and is probably familiar to you. What, what really stuck out to me, though, is that in Acts chapter 2, right on the heels, in fact, verse, 40, uh, verse 41 ends with the, the, the statement that about 3,000 were added to their number that day. In the very next breath, Luke writes and tells us that these people then devoted themselves to these things, to teaching and to fellowship and to breaking of bread and to prayer. And in verse 44, all the believers were together and had everything in common. Can I ask you today, if you think about the church in America, if you church in North America today, if, if I had to say, hey, does this describe the church, that everyone is together and has everything in common, do you think that's an accurate description of the church today? Probably not. And the reason for that is we have lost the heart of community. We've lost the heart of community. It stuck out to me that this wasn't something they had to learn over a course of time. Their response to Jesus and to the gospel message, all 3,000 of them was, God has done something in our lives to the degree that we just need to be with people who understand what's happening. And it became this great leveler of the playing field. They were together and had everything in common. Those are two key words that we need to pay attention to. The word together there in the Greek has this idea of equality. It wasn't just that they were in the same building. We're together here in the same space. But it's deeper than that. What, 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 the, what Luke is saying here about the early church is this. They were equal to each other within the body of Christ. They saw each other as equal. Not only that, they had everything in common. The Greek word there is the word koinonia, which means fellowship or communion, sharing and participation. Listen to this, church. Equality and unity. Equality and unity. When I listen to the culture around us, you know what I hear? I hear that we're not equal right. Right. and we're not united. Right. Right. That, that is the mantra of today. People fighting to be, to, for equality... And people fighting to be included. I believe the marks of a culture that has moved away from God are division and disunity. And that's just the culture when we start thinking about the church that God says, no, the, the very essence of who I am, the very core of who I am, is that my people, the people who I've saved and the people I've redeemed, would see each other as equal. And be in fellowship with each other because of that. This is the heart of the Lord for His church. For us as His community. See, unity is not optional for us. Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 12, verse 24. But God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the parts that lacked it, that there may be no division in the body. But the members may... Have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. Of course, course Paul uses this analogy of the body a, a number of times. and It's a great picture of who we are as the church. We are the body of Christ. And that the body is meant to be joined together. That, that, that parts of your body are not optional. Right? You don't get up in the morning and go, I don't need my leg today. I'll just leave it at home. And when one part of your body is hurting, the whole body hurts. A couple of weeks ago, a few weeks ago, I talked about when you get out of bed and you stub your toe because the lights are dim. And, and when that little toe is throbbing, every part of your body feels like it's aching. That Jesus wants us to be the body of Christ and that within that body there would be no division. That we would have the same care and that we would rejoice with each other and honor each other and suffer with each other. But can I tell you this cannot happen unless we live in community. This is not an abstract theory for us to consider as an out-there kind of thing. This is an applicable, uh, actionable part of our faith experience, that we would walk this out daily. I've said this before in, time, in, in previous messages, but I believe that we've become accustomed to living in proximity That we've come accustomed to living in proximity. We're around people, but we're not necessarily in community with people. John Wesley said this, there is nothing more unchristian than a solitary Christian. There is nothing more unchristian than a solitary Christian. We were designed to need each other. By the way, it's interesting to me in both Acts chapter 2 and Acts chapter 4, as as Luke explains and paints this picture where he says, hey, here you have the early church, and, and, and they meet Jesus, and they come together, and they gather together in the temple courts, and they go to each other's homes, and they worship, and they're taught, and they pray, and they fast together, and they eat together, and, and all of these things are happening, and they, they They recognize, well, you have a need. I I can help with that need. I'm gonna sell my possessions. People sold property and brought the money and laid it at the disciples' feet and said, take this money and use it for the kingdom of God. It's amazing to me when people, you know, we talk about tithing and and money becomes such an issue in the church and people go, well, God, does God really require 10%? And I've come to realize in my life that 10% is the starting point. 10% 10% is Old Testament. When it comes to the New Testament, they gave everything. They sold everything. So, so the idea that we would keep for ourselves was so contrary to the early church. And when I hear people say, oh, we've got to become more like the early church, my, what I think of is, go, then go sell everything you have and give it away. Because that's what they did, because there was a sense of belonging to each other and care for each other, and it became this place of equality. That means that the people who were wealthy used their wealth to be a blessing. And those who were not wealthy brought what they had, and they shared it with, with each other. And it became a blessing. And in the midst of this, in both of those passages, notice what happens next. The power of God is revealed in his people. That ministry, powerful ministry, flowed out of community. That we are the most effective on the mission of God when we are united and in community with each other. But when we start isolating and pulling away from each other, not living and doing life with each other, that there is a diminishing of the power of God at work in our lives that takes place. And, and, and I, as I've read this and as I've studied it and I've thought about it and prayed about it, I, I wish there was a different way to put it, but there isn't. It just is the reality that when we come together as the body of Christ in community, God's power is revealed through that. Later on in Acts chapter eleven and, and and the following chapters, we see the church in Antioch, the first church that is started outside of Jerusalem and outside of the the oversight of the disciples. Just a group of people who meet Jesus and come together and say, "We need a fellowship and worship together." And Barnabas is sent to go and engage with them and figure out if this is legit, if this is a real thing. And he finds out that it is. He he goes and he gets Paul and brings them back and they worship there together for a while and they become the leaders of that congregation. And it says, the Bible tells us that they were together and they were worshiping and they were praying and that they were fasting and that there was this unity. And in the midst of that, the Holy Spirit spoke to them and said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul, who I've called to go to the purposes to which I have called them. And what was amazing to me in that is they all heard the voice of God. When we're living in community and we're committed to to honoring each other and being a blessing to each other and supporting each other and and praising with each other and learning with each other, one of the marks of that is we begin to hear the voice of God together. That it, it stops being just one person who says, I have a word from God. That it resonates in all of our hearts and God's power would flow through that. So what does living in community look like for us? In the midst of our busy lives, we, we lead very full lives. There's a lot vying for our attention, whether it's our work, whether it's our, our, our recreation activities, whatever, the garden that you have to tend to, the the. The sports activities, the school activities, the, I mean, there's just a lot going on. And who, who else feels like there seems to be less and less time in the week to get things done? Yep. And then you go, well, pastor, now you're telling me that I have to be in community with each. By the way, what I'm not talking about is church attendance. Mm-hmm. That's right. part of it, but this isn't the whole deal. Yeah. It can't be. Right. It just can't be. Well, how do I find time for that? Well, as with other things, if it's valuable and it's important to us, we will prioritize. We will adjust our lives in such a way that we make it a priority. And I believe that the Lord is calling His church to stop talking about things that are important and start living those things that are important, to give ourselves to this. So the first thing would be this. We need to commit to be together. We need to commit to live in community Community must be a priority for us. Hebrews 10, 24 through 25 says this, let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another all the more as you see the day approaching. Most of the time when I hear this passage preached in a church, it's usually a pastor telling the church, you need to show up at church more. Don't neglect gathering together, i.e., come on Sunday mornings and make sure you're on time. Right? You've probably heard that as well. But I think the real heart behind this passage is so much bigger than attending a service. There's more to this. Don't get into the habit of of not gathering together, finding people that you can do life with who can encourage you and be a support to you as you grow in the Lord. Be an encouragement to one another. Why? Because there's a lot of discouraging things going on in our lives. I would ask of us this morning, how much do you know about what's happening in the life of your neighbor? Maybe the neighbor in your community that you live in, or maybe the person sitting next to you this morning? Where is the community of people where you're aware of what's pressing in their lives, the things that they're maybe struggling with in regard to fear or anxiety, the things that are bringing them joy and the things that that they're celebrating? Where is the community of people that you're so attached to that you know? how to pray for them daily, how to encourage them in such a way that is life-giving and builds them up. We need that kind of community. And I want to say this, as your pastor, as a shepherd, we have to move beyond a place where we expect the church to create the community for us. Let me unpack that a little bit. In our Western culture, we have become so programmatic in our approach to faith that if the church doesn't put it on the calendar, I'm not going to probably be a part or do it or reach out. And we've created a kind of relationship between church leadership and church structure and church organization that, in many cases, is not healthy. It's not healthy. See, what the church of Jesus Christ is, is we're a body, and our head is Jesus, and he's the one who attaches us and connects us to other people's lives, and what we need to be doing in our lives, and I would encourage you as a a congregation, if you're not connected to the people around you, find ways to get connected. One of the reasons we do things like picnic in the park is to create opportunities for you to meet each other. Because I'm aware of this right now. You're all looking at me. You're not engaged with each other. You're all looking at me. And most Sundays, your attention is you're all facing the same direction. And by definition, that's proximity, not community. Why do we do two minutes to mingle? Because I mean, we want you to face each other. Why do we do, hey, hang out afterwards and grab a cup of coffee? Why do we serve coffee on Sunday mornings other than coffee is awesome? because we recognize it's easier to engage with someone when you're having a a, a coffee and a cookie. And we want that to be a, a place, a catalyst for you to engage with each other. And so these things that we do as a church are designed to help foster community so that our lives can be connected to each other. Because my desire as your pastor is that the power of God would flow through your life. That there would be stories and victories and miracles that would take place. Not because the pastor prayed for you. I love when I hear about things happening in the church that get back to me. Oh, this person was struggling. And so this whole group of people went over and encouraged them or prayed for them. Or uh, while we were in Israel, someone had a physical need. At, and and that whole group rallied and said, hey, we're going to provide meals for you. And I heard about it after the fact. Can I tell you, I rejoice in that because that's the community of Jesus Christ caring for each other. Let's commit ourselves to being together in community, not just proximity. The second thing is this, enjoy life together. Enjoy life together. It's okay to have fun as a church. We, we got to visit a lot of really neat sites we, while we were in Israel, but I've got to be honest with you, some of the, the more traditional sites that we went to didn't seem like the people were having a lot of fun, that there was a heaviness to it, and there's reverence. There's an appropriate place for there to be reverence, but I think we can build into our theology sometimes that the things of God are is deep and we take the, the deep voice and we have to say Jesus. And we have to you know, furrow our brows and right, the things of God are serious. No, God delights. God, God delights. He loves to laugh. I mean, read the Bible. There's There's no shortage of sarcasm and funny stories that Right? There's, there's responses that Jesus has with the disciples that are just kind of like, are you kidding me right now? Come on. We can enjoy each other. In fact, again, in Acts chapter 2, it says that they received their food with glad and generous or glad and sincere hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. One, I think one of our values at this church should be food because um, we enjoy eating together. Uh, I, 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 we never really ever have any kind of event or any kind of gathering where we are lacking for enough food, but I think it's one of those places where as we break bread together, as the Bible instructs us to do, that we laugh together and we enjoy life together. And there is something uplifting about that. There's something of the Holy Spirit that comes into the midst of our laughter and our enjoyment of each other that encourages our hearts and souls. Jesus told us, listen, you got a lot of things to worry about that you could worry about, but don't. Trust this, that God has things in control. And, and I tell you what helps me the most when I'm stressed out, when I'm anxious, when there's things that I start worrying about, it's when I'm with other people who come alongside and go, hey, let me remind you, God's got this. Let me, let me just speak life into that. It's in the moments where we're enjoying each other's company that there's a lightness of heart that comes about. It's at the heart of fellowship that we enjoy each other as we enjoy God. And in that, I believe, we reflect the image of God to each other and to the world. Jesus said that we, the world would know us by what? By our love. And the last time I checked, love is fun. It should be. Oh, I need to love. No, I I love my wife, and that's a good thing. That's an enjoyable thing. That's a thing that brings me joy in my life. I love my children. And the love we have for each other should put a smile on our face. There should be no lack of enjoyment in the midst of that. The next thing would be this, that we would grow together. That we would grow together. Acts 2, again, tells us that they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, that as they came together as the church, as this, again, this, remember, he's saying this is 3,000 people that on one day didn't know Jesus, and on the next day they did, and it happened in power, there were signs and wonders and miracles taking place, And so this group of people who now find themselves as followers of Jesus Christ were hungry to know more. And so they submitted themselves to the apostles teaching, tell us, tell us about this man named Jesus, tell us what we need to know, tell us, instruct us, give us. They were just this insatiable appetite, so much so that they gathered once a week. No, They gathered daily. They gathered daily. Can you imagine that? Hey, we're having church seven days a week, and it doesn't need to look like this. That when you gather with your friends, when you get together and you have a meal, and you talk about the things of God that you are having, you are being the church of Jesus Christ. That when you gather in your homes and when you gather in places of worship and when you gather at a restaurant and you talk about the things of God and you have spiritual conversation, that he is in the midst of that and he he is building your life. They were hungry for the teaching of the the word of God. Remember this, they didn't have the Bible. They're a part of the story. They didn't get to read the story. They didn't have the Bible as we have it today. And so rather than being able to open an app and say, I'm going to read out of the book of Acts today, they had to sit and listen. In fact, the gospels were not written for decades and decades, until decades later. They they were right on the forefront of this. And so everything they learned had to be told to them. And they were so hungry, they would say, I want to come and sit and listen to what is being said. See, we are meant to have a catalytic effect on each other's lives. That as we live in community, that we would encourage each other in such a way that we would want to grow deeper, go further, know more, understand the depths of who God is. Hebrews ten twenty four and 25 again says, Let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds you all know what a spur is anyone not know what a spur is right you ever watch the cowboy movie and right he walks into the bar and he's got those the clanging and he's got the big star things on the back of his boot and they're not just for good looks they're so when they're sitting on their horse and need the horse to go it's like a gas pedal Right? And he takes that stir and he shoves it into the side of the horse, and it doesn't feel real good, so it makes that horse move forward. That the writer of Hebrews is saying that the relationship we have with each other would be like this that we would be like a spur to one another. Yay! (laughs) Bring it on! But but if we understand there's like we, we look at that and go no no thank you. I don't need someone like poking me in the side trying to get me to move forward. Yes, if there's no relationship that sounds like a horrible thing. But if you're in community and fellowship and relationship with other believers, it's just going to happen accountability is going to happen. Transparency is going to happen. Encouragement is going to happen. We're going to know each other in such a way that on the days where I know you need a hug, I'll give you a hug. And on the days where I know that you need a... That'll be there as well. I think we've become so afraid of offending that we've stopped spurring. And once again, this is not the pastor's job. Because I can't spur all of you. I can encourage you from this, from this vantage point. But when it comes to life on life on life, that is for you to do in the relationships you have, starting in your home, in your marriages, in your, with your children, with your peer group, with your friends, with the people that you do life with. That we would move beyond just watching a ball game with each other. And start asking, hey, how are you doing? Are you growing in the Lord? Are you walking in the, in, the, in the discipline? Are you developing spiritual disciplines in your life? Hey, let's do this together. Hey, let's walk this out together. Hey, I'm struggling. I'm just having a hard time getting into the word daily. And I'm just distracted and I feel guilty about it and I I carry shame about it. Great, then let's do this together. And I'll just text you in the morning and say, hey, what did you read this morning? And there becomes this point of encouragement, life on life, where the spurring doesn't become this thing that you're like, "Ah, I don't want that. And you actually start welcoming it. Because we need it. You might not know it, but you need it. Your soul needs it. Your spirit needs it. Your emotions need it. The New Living Translation trans- translates spur with motivate. I like spur better than motivate. Right? I can go to Barnes & Noble and I can bring, pull up a whole b- bunch of books about motivation. Right? You remember the posters? Like in the 80s, we had the motivational posters, all, like every teacher had them like all over their walls and it was like the picture of the sunset and then some little motivational. Fr- I never felt motivated by those. I don't know what it was. Like, there, some of them were funny and some of them were just weird. The thing that's motivated me in my life has been the real relationships and people that love me enough to hug me when I needed a hug and spur me on when I needed to be spurred on. We need to commit ourselves to growing together. 1 Peter 4, 8 through 10 says, Above all, love each other deeply because love covers a multitude of sins. You know, when Peter says above all, do you think that's a priority? Uh, Okay, I'll help you out. Yes, (laughs) yes. (laughs) Yes, above all, right? This is important. Pay attention, Love each other deeply. You can't love deeply if you're not in community. You can't even lo- love, sh- like, shallowly we? <laughs> if you're not in community. Love deeply because love covers a multitude of sins. Offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. Invite someone over to your house and be happy about it. Well, Pastor Barry, I don't have the gift of hospitality. That's not what he's talking about. That's not what he's talking about. There are people who have the spiritual gift of hospitality, and I am thankful for those people. But there should be a mark on every one of our lives of hospitality that is extended, because if we can't do that with each other, we won't do it with the world. Can I tell you, lost people don't want to be preached at. They want to be welcomed. Lost people are not looking to get preached at. They want to be welcomed. Each of you should use whatever gift you have received to, say it with me, serve others. Is it up there? Okay, let's try that again. Each of you should use whatever gift you have received to... Serve others, imagine that, as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. That we use our gifts to serve each other and growing in the Lord and then finally believing together. Let me ask you this morning, what are you believing God for? This phrase out of Luke chapter 13, and when I did the series on prayer Jesus talked about the man who comes to his friend in the middle of the night, knocks on his door and says, hey, some people just showed up at my house um, and I don't have enough bread. I need help. And the guy's like, listen, I already extinguished the lamp. My kids are already in bed, right? And they're neighbors, which in that culture implies that they're friends. They lived in community with each other. And so he just keeps knocking. And Jesus says, if it's not for the friendship, for his shameless audacity, he will give the bread. And then he says to us about our prayer life, ask, seek, and knock. How much more will our heavenly Father, who actually cares about us, give us those things? And that phrase, shameless audacity, keeps coming up in my devotional life. And God's been just challenging me and saying, what are you being shamelessly audacious about? What are you asking for? What are you believing God for? And I would ask you today, what are you believing God for? Where are the things in your life where you're going, God, I need you to come through. God, I need to see breakthrough in this place. God, I I need to see some kind of shift, some kind of change take place. What are you believing for? See, because for every one of us, we have a bad day. Every one of us, we all have bad days. We have days when our faith is shaken. There are days when we feel alone. There are days when we are discouraged. There are days when we are sick, and on and on and on. See, but here's the thing. It's not enough then just for us to believe and ask God to say, what am I believing for? My next question would be, who knows what you are believing God for? Who else outside of yourself and maybe your spouse or people in your household Know what you are believing God for. Who have you invited in in such a way to say, you know what? Hey Jacques, this is something that I'm believing God for and it's it's intimate and it's personal and it's private, but I want to invite you into this because I value our relationship and I trust you. Would you partner in prayer with me in this place? The Bible says that one could put a thousand to flight, but two, ten thousand. This is community. This is us doing life with each other. Saying, Jacques, I'm believing God to do some things in my life. Would you partner with me? Now imagine if there's four or five people that you're living in community with. Highs and lows. Let's pray together. Let's believe together. In Mark chapter 2, verse 3 through 5, it says this. Some men came, bringing to him a paralyzed man, carried by four of them. And since they could not get, get to, him because Jesus, to, to, rather, to Jesus because of the crowd, they made an opening in the roof above Jesus by digging through it and then lowered the mat the man was lying on. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralyzed man, Son, your sin, sins are forgiven. When Jesus saw whose faith? Whose faith did he see? The friend's. It was cool. We were in Capernaum at the house of Peter, and and it's amazing to see. You got to go to Israel. Oh my gosh. We know it's Peter's house because there's a mosaic from 2,000 years ago in the floor at the door that says, This is Peter's house. (laughs) It's wild. And Peter's house became a church. In fact, Capernaum was where his mother-in-law was from, and it was his mother's in, mother-in-law's house, and it became his house. She, he's, she's the one that Jesus raised from the dead, and uh, and so we're in the, in this community. And right across the street from Peter's house is another house that they uncovered in the archaeological excavation. And you have the and the houses were like their their houses are not like our houses. Like a house is what we would consider a room. Because all, right, all you did in there is sleep. Everything else happened out in community. But on the side of the house, you can see there is the, uh, part of a staircase that goes up. And it wasn't a two-story house. What it was is they would have a place up on the top of the house uh, where you could get up into the breeze. Because Israel is hot. And so you want to find the place where the breeze is. And, and so what our guide was telling us is that they would, that the, the roof of the house would be open and they would lay logs across to create the structure for the roof. And then they would take palm branches and then they would lay those palm branches over the top of the roof. And then when it was really hot, they would soak those branches with water. And as the breeze would come and go into the house through the palm branches, it acted like air conditioning. It was a swamp cooler and it would cool the house. So, so here's these guys. Jesus is in a house, it's packed, doesn't mean there were a thousand people. It could have been like twenty-five people crammed into a small space. All we know is they're going, there's not enough room for us to get through the front door. So they see the staircase going up to the roof, and one of them probably goes, Ha ha, I get an idea. And they go up the side of the house and they pull back the branches. And they get on either side of that that opening, and they lower him down right to the feet of Jesus. And picture it with me. Jesus sees the man. He's paralyzed. He has this need. He sees the man, but then he has to look up. And he sees the friends, and he says, because of your faith, he heals the man and forgives his sins. This is community at its finest, that when one of you is struggling, that there would be one or two or three or four other people that would come alongside of you and bring you to the feet of Jesus and say, you know what? I know that your faith is struggling, I know that you're discouraged, but we are praying for you. But We can't do that if we don't know each other. We can't do that if we don't live in community. If we don't get through the awkwardness of the culture that says, oh, I don't know, got to keep my guard up. And, you know, I've tried that before and it didn't go so great. And there's real issues attached to that. But those issues are not from the heart of God. Those are issues of the plan of the enemy to distract us from what God has for us. See, community is a gift. Community is a gift that we get to live in such a way that we're encouraged, we're supported, that our needs are met, that we we see each other as equal, that there's fellowship and sharing and laughter and encouragement and spurring on, and that our faith grows together. See, we need that. You need that. I need that. But we've got to commit ourselves, church, to say, okay, I'm going to seek it out. I'm not going to just wait for it to show up. I know that as I consider our congregation, there's many of you that are connected to each other. A lot of our connection in this place happens through the teams that we serve on. I know that the worship team lives in community with each other, and they share the laughter and the gift of music, and they they have fun, and there's creativity that flows That's one of the places where we can. When 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 we say to you, "Hey, be a part of a team. Get in and serve." It's not because we're like, "Oh, this job needs to be done. Can we find some sucker to come and do this?" can Can we just be real for a minute? Sometimes that's what it feels like in the church. We just need people to come and do the jobs that no one else wants to do. Not at Thrive Church. We minister in team, another one of our values. Why? Right. Because community happens when we're serving together. I going to encourage you, if you're not serving on a team, jump in and serve with a team. That's right. We'd love that. There's, in fact, stop at the hub today. There's, place, there's a card there you can fill out and say, I'd love to be involved. It's one of the ways, just one. It's not the only. When we go to the park and we're sitting around just having fun, go meet someone you don't know. And you might have more in common with each other than you realize. Amen? Let's stand together as we close. I want to encourage you this morning. Our prayer team is available after service. If you have any prayer needs, if there's anything that you need someone to stand with you in and bring to the feet of Jesus on your behalf, we would love to pray with you this morning. Can we lift our hands before the Lord and just a sign of reverence and honor. God, we want to invite you to do a work in us. Lord, we want to stop believing the lie of the enemy that would say we're alone and no one cares. And I'm not as valuable and I don't have anything to give or I don't have anything to offer. That, Lord, because of what you have done for us and because of the power of your spirit that is work in us, Lord, that we are equal, that we are united, that we are support and a gift to each other, that we are the body of Christ. I want to ask for a response this morning. If if you're in a place, you're hearing this message, and, and, and maybe your heart is just being challenged a little bit, and you're going Pastor Barry, I'm not in the kind of relationship and community I need to be in. And and I want to commit myself to doing the work of getting into relationship and getting into community. I I just want to agree with you. I believe that there's something that happens that breaks the power of the, the enemy and his hold in our lives when we just acknowledge things in the light. If that's you, I just want to agree. Would you just raise your hand and say, Pastor Barry, I need to do some work in this area. I need to pursue community and relationship to a greater degree. Thank you. Hands all over. Hands all over. Thank you, Jesus. I pray, Lord, as, as for each one of these hands that is raised, Lord, you see not only their heart, but God, you have something in store You have a group, you have a community in store. Lord, I pray that for every person who would feel lonely and isolated in this place, that they would be surrounded by people who love and care for them, Lord Jesus. God, we thank you for the gift of community. We thank you for what you're doing in the midst of this church. And God, I pray that as we do life together well as a congregation, Lord, that the world would see that that they would see the love that we have for each other and that they would know that you are Lord and respond to your call of salvation over them. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.